Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Town City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 503. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Main fiction today is The Horror on Habitat 7 by Zach Chapman. First of all, before we get into that, I'd just like a little heads up. The Kickstarter, Everyone Worlds Without Walls. Almost finished. The e-books, the e-books have been sent out. The audio books have been sent out, and in the next week, I'll be sending out all the paperbacks and signed edition paperbacks and everything like that. So we are in the final stages, a bit like Cassini. We're in the final stages of finishing that, completing that um, that Kickstarter, and it's really exciting to be quite honest and. When I see the work that's got in, I just want a huge thank you to Dee and a huge thank you to Robin and everyone who's kind of given the stories, you know, and helped her kind of over the, you know, over the kind of time, Amy, for doing the introduction. Just fantastic. Gorgeous. Got a copy here, man. Look at that. Whoa. It will be on sale. I'm aiming for the kind of probably... To the kind of, uh, I know it sounds a bit kind of, you know, to the general public, 1st of December. But if you want a copy before that, just drop us an email, Starship's over, and we'll sort you one out, I am sure. So, let's get into the main fiction. Like I say, it is Horror on Habitat 7. Story was original for Starship's, you know what, read your notes, Tony, read your bloody notes. <laughs> I was going to say, this is, you know what I mean? It's an original for Starship Sofa. Ho, ho. Zach Chapman grew up on a ranch just north on San Antonio, Texas, where he could see cows grazing in the pastures from his bedroom window. In 2011, he graduated from the University of the Incamate, I think that's how you pronounce it, word, with a degree in English, where he won the College of Humanities, Arts and Social Sciences English Award for Creative Writing. He currently lives in Austin with his librarian wife, Taylor, a cat, a rabbit and a lazy-eyed rescue dog named Dingo. You can follow him and Zach's future publications announcements on Twitter, Chappie Zach. This story is narrated by Matt Dovey. Matt Dovey is a very tall, very English, and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He lives in a quiet market town in rural England with his wife and three children. And despite being a writer, he still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. 
His surname rhymes with Dorby, but any other similarities to the dwarf are purely coincidental. He is the Golden Pen winner for the Writers of the Future. Well done there, sir. Volume 32, which was 2016, and was shortlisted for the James White Award in 2016. He has fiction out and forthcoming all over the place. And you can keep up with Matt at mattdovey.com. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Matt, you've got some chops there in your writing thing there, but you know what I mean? This is Zach's first professional sale. Welcome, Zach, the very first one on Starship Sova. So, the Starship Sova is... Zach, very proud to present... The Horror on Habitat 7 by Zach Chapman. I met Molly in a real dive outside Zeta 5, called Breaker. Kind of joint that sold untaxed synthetics. Clean tell smokes, but Breaker never bothered to filter their atmosphere. When you could breathe, it smelled like grease and heated metal. It was on a moon, always in shadow. Red bioluminescent bulbs years past their expiration provided the ambient lighting. I was just there to refuel my boxer. In retrospect, she probably followed me there. Her shadow looming over my empty booth shattered the suffocating atmosphere of Breaker. She ducked in across from me unprompted. I'd never seen her before. Her pale skin glowed, and she had green hair like the fanatic militant types. Unsettling tattoos of fungi spread at one of her arms. They looked too organic, unsterile, work that she might have got done on a backwater planet. To contrast, her other arm seemingly reflected no light. At a closer look, I noticed it was blue-grey, synthetic, probably lost in the war. She slid a drink across to me, then set a hefty bag on the table. Drink, she commanded. You pilot that boxer model X-20 in the docking bay? Her name's Sphinx. I nodded and took a drink. It tasted like boxer fuel. Been piloting her for years. What's a greenhead like you doing in this shit pile? Looking for help, she said. Not many boxers in the outskirts. Most are junked. With her tight manner and inquiry about the ship, I figured I knew what all this was about. It wasn't the first time a recruiter had approached me. Boxers are useful battleships. They only need one pilot and can hold up to a crew of five or so. But I wasn't about to get my beauty scrapped in some galactic crusade I cared nothing about. Sorry, don't want to get involved in the war. Wouldn't want to ruin her nice paint job on an unworthy payout. I got up to leave but she grabbed my arm with her powerful synthetic. I winced. This isn't about the war, she said, and unzipped her bag just enough for me to see what it held. Inside, credits clicked, slid around. At least 20,000. I need a boxer pilot. It's a lot of credits for no space battles. Okay, I said. I'm listening. I drank while Molly explained the job. She had the coordinates to a lost settlement she called Habitat 7, an abandoned old-style base, the giant spinning kind, from before we had artificial grav. It was old, sealed off, and needed a boxer ship with its fully functioning fist to pry open the hatch and access the interior. She tossed a hollow project on the table and flicked it on. A triangular base relief with enigmatic hieroglyphs appeared in the centre of the booth. She swept her hands through the hologram, and the hollow projector displayed a set of smaller statuettes, 
weirdly formed creatures crudely rendered, as if by pre-human hands. Pre-war artefacts and Habitat 7, she claimed. What she called idols of old gods could sell for astronomical prices to eccentric collectors. So I was the lockpick to her treasure chest. And payment? I asked. A quarter up front. She motioned at her bag. It held enough credits to restock all my ion missiles and upgrade the blast shields. Maybe even buy a maintenance droid. My boxer is docked for another hour, refueling. Let me see those coordinates. Most citizens don't know what a boxer looks like. They're older combat models, rare in civilian ports. My ship's matte green, dark like an eclipsed forest planet. She had a particle cannon, mostly for show because I never had enough funds to stock ammunition. Two arms protruded from just under the cockpit, metal and carbon fibre muscles, like modest synthetic arm only much, much larger, and covered in massive armour plating. So looking around those arms, she ain't the fastest ship, but I wouldn't trade her for the universe. I'd have to look at the ship's log to know how long it took to reach Habitat, perhaps a week. I'm sure the trip was shorter than it felt. Molly wasn't the most talkative guest I've had on my ship. She stayed in one of the Sphinx's empty crew quarter rooms, seven by seven with an equally cramped cot that folded out of the wall, though I'm not sure if she ever slept. I could hear her exercising within, ragged breath and the sound of rapid movement. I imagined her doing jumping jacks, crunches, shadow boxing. When you pilot a ship like mine as long as I have, you become in tune with it. You grow accustomed to what its size, its creaks, the artificial rubbery smell wafting from the grav generator. It's like you're in a symbiotic relationship, romantic in a sense, not sexual. But when a foreign body enters it, the dynamic changes. The corridors grow longer, the rooms slant. New smells, new sounds, and new dreams, delirious and disjointed. Once I cried out in my sleep loud enough to raise the ship AI. Recording the dream was impossible. I only had a sense of dread and the image of Moddy's vaguely monstrous statues. Outside of her room, she was always studying an old data pad, like she was some sort of Federation general. When we spoke, every conversation devolved into the job, habitat, the old god art pieces. I gave up on getting to know her. Despite me usually being the sole occupant, the Sphinx never felt lonely. But with Molly on board, it felt empty. Habitat 7 was unlike any base I'd seen. It was colossal, nearly the size of a dwarf planet. An Art Deco column, as Molly claimed, orbiting a binary star system. From the observation deck, Molly explained the year it was built, the style, the exact population it had the year it opened. I was too busy piloting to remember the details. All I remember is Habitat 7 was old. As we approached, details became clearer. Recurring square designs echoed up the sides of Habitat's hull. As it spun, the odd designs flowed like queer hollow animations. It felt old world. Garish. Not like something you'd see in space. Century-old security drones issued from Habitat in broken waves. Their movements became unsynced. Rust coated their exterior like splashes of blood on metal. My cybernetic implants itched with anticipation and my palms pulsed a faint orange glow as I began the comfortable process of networking with my ship. Outside the cockpit, the boxer's mighty hands flexed as I calibrated the ship's movements to my own. At that, the security drones grew agitated. 
Ollie, you said Habitat was abandoned. These drones are flying erratic like the AI decayed long ago. I need to know what you've gotten me into. Relax. Should they attack, that derelict tech is no match for your ship. I cocked my brow. She wouldn't be the one stuck with my boxer's maintenance bill. I piloted the Sphinx, wading through a sea of them. The drones didn't attack, just glared, their optic cameras flashing ominous red. Molly directed me to a closed hatch on the pole of the cylinder. Colossal clamps held the hatch closed. Shrieking metal reverberated up the Sphinx's arms as I pried them off. Although it's comforting to me, the sound of boxers working is off-putting if you're unaccustomed to it. If Molly was distressed, she didn't so much as wince. Underneath the broken hatch, an aperture opened and quickly closed after we flew through. Malformed trees of a kind I'd never seen crowded habitat like weeds. Ropes of moss dripped off their branches like nooses. The strange vegetation reeked like mildew and seemed to squirm if you walked too close. The flooring wasn't artificial. It was real dirt and rock, dank stones and broken pieces of rotting wall. The whole thing felt organic, like being planet-side, except the nauseating gradual upward curve to the east and west that eventually completed the cylinder and landscape overhead. We'd been walking for an hour, Molly leading the way as she referenced a half-corrupted hollow map older than my ship, we came upon the start of a deserted factory, two stories of dead machine and corroded, iridescent painted metal. Roots and moss worked their way through broken windows and gaping doorways. This factory have your buried treasure? I asked. No. Hmm. Wonder what it was used for. Atmosphere processing. Habitat 7 was designed to be a paradise home for the rich. In its prime, the atmosphere content was intensely regulated. I sniffed the air. It smells... out of order. She ignored me. While we walk, she said, I can give you a brief history of Habitat. I offered her a shrug. Between year 79 and 82, earthborn architects hauled material and constructed the base's shell. Then, from 82 to 84, scientists and macro-engineers terraformed the inside with oceans, rivers, mountains, fauna and a pressurised atmosphere to match Earth's. In 84, they built three cities. Ibid here, in the forest. Ulthar carved out the side of a quartz mountain. And Innsmouth across a set of archipelagos several miles off the coast. For the next ten years, the rich from all over the galaxy moved to Habitat 7 and filled these cities. If this is a techno-paradise for the rich, how come we're searching for weird artefacts that look like they were made before space travel? I'm getting to that. While the colonies were expanding and fighting numerous wars with each other, Habitat's council voted to seal itself off and cease all further communications with the warring colonies. Only a few records of what happened exist, fragments of transmissions. Maybe the water was poisoned, or the air. Whatever it was, the entire base caught an episode of mass hysteria. The madness started off as peculiar dreams, minor hallucinations of undescribed creatures. Reports of nocturnal suicides ran high, citizens throwing themselves from towers without warning or reason. There were all sorts of fantastical claims from alien invasion to telepathic cults, but no one could explain it. As the madness grew worse, the leaders of the cities voted to unseal the base, but every escape vessel on Habitat was sabotaged. So, did they escape this place? 
as we walked past the stunted tree twisting out of a factory window. She pointed at something partially concealed under its tangle of roots. At first it appeared to be a threadbare cloth, but upon closer inspection I discovered it was torn clothing, clinging to withered human remains. No one escaped, she said. Then what happened? I asked. The sickness, or whatever, it worsened, spread, took over. What did everyone in the habitat do? Kill themselves? Are you saying no one survived? She didn't answer. After Molly had pointed out the first corpse, I started noticing them everywhere. They were twisted, restless things half buried in vegetation. The more I noticed them, the more misshapen they became until their forms were monstrous, demonic. I shook my head. The thin atmosphere was getting to me, making my mind play tricks on me. I spoke to ease my nerves. And the statues, what are they? Where did they come from? Echoes of a dying people. In their sickened minds, the creators referred to them as carvings depicting the old gods. She paused, a small smile curling at the corner of her mouth. Art created through pure human madness. So I'm surprised I can sell them for such a high price at the right place. I wanted to ask how any art collectors knew of these old gods, if her intel was positive that Habitat was truly void of any human beings. But at that moment, I became acutely aware of how far our voices carried across Habitat's abandoned landscape. We fell silent. My ears burned. Our feet made quiet plops as we treaded through moist vegetation. The trees creaked irritably, and noises echoed from inside the factory, like empty rattling protein cans. I longed to be back on the Sphinx, her ion drive humming under my feet, my implants networked to her powerful arms, ready to crush whatever problem came our way. An empty window stared out at me. Suddenly, from inside, two pupils reflected the red of Habitat's artificial sun. They were far too large to be human, the teeth far too thin and sharp, vision was dreamlike. I froze. I grabbed Molly's synthetic and pointed. The eyes were gone. Someone's up there. There isn't. I paid a Federation hacker to scan Habitat weeks ago. Everything's dead but worms and the occasional feral dog. It wasn't a fucking dog or worm. I bit the inside of my cheek to return my senses. If I were going insane, would I know? On our left, the factory came to an end. The remains of an energy fence lay torn on the ground. Past it, I saw a set of monoliths circling a lectern. I recognised a triangular base relief from Muddy's hologram sitting atop the lectern. There it is, I said. Relief flushed through my veins. I hopped over the fence and ran to the lectern. Frantic, cryptic characters covered each face of the triangle. At first glance, I couldn't determine what material the artefact was made of. Maybe a cross between a synthetic and granite? Great, I said. Let's grab this thing and get the hell back to the Sphinx or I go nuts. My ship misses me. I reached for it. A staggeringly loud blast thundered from behind me. I felt my body go cold, saw Habitat tilt as I fell. Then pain erupted up my back. Molly stepped over me. She held a blaster. Tendrils of smoke curled out of its barrel. Two blurry figures stepped to Molly's side. When I woke, I was being dragged across slimy moss. The dull red of Habitat's artificial light contrasted the pale undergrowth. 
I squeezed my eyes shut and pretended to be a corpse while my two captors argued in otherworldly voices. One spoke in a croak. He is an abomination. He has two arms. Let us cut off one for the sacrifice. No, the other hissed. We cannot disobey the outsider. Now that she has come, we must follow her orders. She speaks the will of the old gods. The time for sacrifice is over. We leave him in the water. The old gods will be hungry after they wake and can feast upon his floating corpse. The other cursed. Soon I felt myself being tossed into a body of water. I held my breath and remained limp, letting myself sink. I waited. My lungs ached for air. After I felt I could hold it no longer, I surfaced. I quietly swam for the closest embankment and caught a glimpse of two one-armed figures heading back into the forest. I pulled myself onto shore, then assessed my wound. The light carbon mesh I'd worn slowed the laser, but it still blasted through. I could smell the stink of my charred flesh, and the concussive blast had probably snapped a rib. Damn thing hurt like hell. It'd make a hell of a scar. But I'd live. I cursed. What the hell had I gotten myself into? A crazy greenhead and those creatures? What the hell were they? I need to get the hell back to my ship. I eased into a sitting position to catch my breath. I looked up at the enormous cylinder ceiling, stretching as far as the eye could see. Then I noticed the hieroglyphs. They were gargantuan, subtly terraformed into the landscape. Those same hectic characters carved into the pyramid were etched through the trees, across the mountains and rivers of habitat. Molly had lied. This place had been built for one true purpose. It was a megalithic prayer wheel, always spinning, praying to whatever old gods Molly's minion worshipped. Habitat itself had driven its citizens mad, and it would soon do the same for me. I had to sneak back to my ship before Habitat sickness infected me beyond the point of no return. I crawled back into the forest, trailing the one-armed minions. In some ways, her minions were human-like. They lurched in a fashion similar to walking upright, wore rags that resembled clothing, even spoke a form of basic but they had grey-hued skin and bloated facial features. They were heavily muscled, but the proportions were asymmetrical. Their faces, when I could see them, were warped, eyes twice the size of humans, and teeth like long, rotting splinters. Hybrids. Or inbreds. Or both. They reminded me of deep ocean fish brought to the surface, decompressing. Quietly, I followed them back to where I landed the Sphinx. When they entered the clearing, I held back, concealed myself under a net of vines, and watched. Around my ship a gathering of a dozen or more of the creatures had erected monoliths. My muscles relaxed. They hadn't touched my ship. Yet. A bonfire loomed in front of her, reflecting blood red across the cockpit. The monstrosities chanted. Molly stood at the centre, holding the pyramid above her head. When she let go, it somehow remained suspended. The fungi tattoos on her non-synthetic arm seemed to writhe. "'You have called out to me with your dreams,' Molly said to the gathered creatures, "'and I have answered, and the old gods have answered. "'Tonight we use this ship as our vessel to usher in the dawn of a new age. "'With this ship we shall spread their influence across the galaxy like a great fire. "'I will take you to the stars, 
and we will spread to every ship we pass, every colony and base and planet we visit, until the flame from the old gods has scorched the entire universe. I imagine these one-armed freaks touching the leather interior of my ship and gritted my teeth. Her creatures shrieked in approval. They began a ritual, a morbid dirge in a language I couldn't comprehend. They raised their single hands towards the Sphinx. Molly remained in a trance. As their morbid chant crescendoed into raving delirium, I realised this was my chance to escape, to sneak back onto my ship. But my feet stayed locked in Habitat 7 soil, frozen by what I saw. The fire extinguished. The pyramid crumbled. Its hovering debris scattered above the glowing embers and a black mist spread. And then something opened. A needle piercing the fabric of reality, poking into something else. I saw beings never meant to be seen by man or woman. Dread glimpses of truth. Through that mist, the old gods lay sleeping in the darkness between space. A dimension where, just like a black hole, no light escapes. But yet I still saw inside bleak shapes and primordial creatures formed of anachronistic matter. Madness. Molly took an obsidian knife in her synthetic hand and began to carve off her remaining arm. An offering to the old gods? My body shuddered at the sight and I retched. Loudly. A few minions broke their dirge and turned to face me. Outsider! One shouted at Molly. Your shipmate has returned! She tore the rest of her arm off with a wet snap, threw it onto the embers and clamped her bloody stump with the remaining synthetic. It appears I was wrong! Despite the excessive amount of blood loss, her voice hadn't weakened. The old gods hunger for flesh now! Bring him to me, and we shall let them sample a taste of what the expansive galaxy has to offer! I dashed from my ship, but the lurching minions proved faster than I thought possible. In seconds, half a dozen had overwhelmed me. One stuck its hand into the burnt wound on my back and tore. The pain bit through my adrenaline like a surgeon's saw. They dragged me to her. The black mist raged overhead. The old gods hummed nauseating notes, deep enough to vibrate my spine. Pilot, she said, know that this sacrifice is a great honour. Rejoice! Your body will fuel the beginning of the next cosmic cycle, a dark new age. I had to think of something fast, anything. I reached out to her. My palm itched. Molly, I said, I understand. I've seen the gods. Give me the knife and I will make an offering of flesh, just as you have. For the first time since Breaker, she looked at me sceptically. I presented myself as if the madness had infected my mind. One of the hands holding me slackened its grip, so I reached out to her, palm up. It was glowing. Her eyes widened, but it was too late. The familiar pulse raced up my arm as the cybernetic implants networked with my ship and turned it on. The Sphinx's arms leapt to life. In a flash, I wrapped its massive fingers around her body. I squeezed. Through haptic feedback in my implants, I felt everything inside her break. Molly coughed. Her synthetic crackled as it shorted out. She smiled, a red, evil crescent, and whispered, This won't slow us down. I threw Molly into the black mist, into that other dimension where the old gods thrashed. Darkness twisted around her body, swallowing her. She pirouetted and, in an instant, 
was noiselessly ripped to pieces. The mass of hybrids that held me looked in awe as the gods devoured their outsider. A few were screaming, running off into the woods. One leapt onto the coals and thrashed about howling. The chaos smelled of hot adrenaline and charred flesh. I used the sphinx to scoop myself up and bring me to its entrance. That was the fastest launch I'd ever done. As I flew out of Habitat 7, the mist grew. The haunting screams of the old gods stalked me. The artificial sea boiled and turned to soupy grey. This time, the security droids attacked. I swatted them like metallic insects, crushing their metal bodies with the Sphinx's carbon combat arms. I felt every scrape of green paint, every dent pounded into a hull, just like it was my own skin. As soon as I was clear, I jumped the Sphinx into hyperdrive. After setting her on autopilot, I stumbled out of the cockpit and into the deck, laughing like a fool, just happy to be alive and breathing on my ship. I didn't care that the Sphinx and I were short a pair of blast shields and a maintenance droid. There were plenty more jobs for a ship like her. It'd take a few payouts, but I'd get her repainted. Maybe I'd go with red this time. Blood leaked down my leg, staining the polished floor. I tore off my carbon mesh vest and popped open the medikit. I spread the nanogel across my wound. The machine seeped into my body and began cauterizing the damaged arteries, repairing my cracked rib. I screamed. The ship AI blared to life, asking if I needed assistance. I'll be fine. To the left of me, a metallic clatter pierced the air. A scalpel had fallen from the medikit and lay on the floor. The small blade was diamond-coated and plasma-sharpened. Minutes passed, and I couldn't tear my eyes from it. I thought of Habitat's massive spinning structure, like a prayer wheel, and how those prayers poked and poked until the old gods woke and tore into reality. I shook my head to clear it of all the nonsense. I noticed my hand was clenched, knuckles white, the scalpel in my fist. Without knowing, I made an incision on my shoulder, right where the scapula and humerus met. Blood ran down my side, spilling onto the sphinx's floor. I felt no pain, only the sudden urge to clean it before the stain settled. The mechanical hiss of the ship's arms deploying rocked the Sphinx. Sphinx, what's going on? I shouted to the AI. The AI did not respond. I rushed to the cockpit. Outside the view panel, the Sphinx's arms were moving of their own accord. I tried to network with the ship, but my implants were rejected. One of the arms smashed into the other's shoulder joint, right where it met the ship. I began screaming, desperately attempting to network with the ship and stop the assault. The ship continued to tear itself apart. An alarm cried. The sound of rending metal shrieked. I could feel tears rolling down my cheeks. Outside, the right arm flexed and tore the left arm off at the shoulder joint. The Sphinx flung the seizing boxer arm out into space. The scalpel gleamed red in my hand. I'd somehow sawed through muscle, tendon and bone. My left arm hung by a wet, red strand. My whole body was numb. The ship was out of my control. Something vast and dark and demonic slipped into my mind. I did not fight it. I set the jump coordinates for the nearest populated colony. This time, the ship obeyed. 
There you go. Now, I knew Jeremy was actually, you know, getting into this, you know, original printing as well, or original publishing on Starship Sofas. So, Matt, what can I say? Copyright Starship Sofas. (laughs) Thank you so much. Listen, everyone. If you want to kind of get your stories in, check on on the website on the submissions guidelines there now. I know Jeremy has taken on a couple of slush readers as well. So big thank you to coming on board for to Kelly Brantley and Lisa Stone. Well done. Welcome to the fold. And Jeremy, get the story sent over there. Big thank you to Matt. Matt, what can I say? Chops there, lad. Put your tea down. Put your tea down. Come on. Get... Oh, there's the wife. Oh, no, it's the daughter. Can you make us a cup of coffee? <laughs> she works 10 foot away in the dog rumours. Can you make us a cup of coffee? Matt, get some more narrations done, please, sir. And writing, obviously. You know what I mean? That goes without saying. Just before we kind of close up this show, a couple of things, and I think it's actually quite important as well. Do you know what I mean? I'm kind of, you know, I'm always getting to mention, and, you know, come over to Patreon, come over to Patreon. And we had a, I had an email, and I, I don't have to kind of mention names or anything like that, but it was a great little idea. You know, we we kind of, you know, we've got a nice size there. We've just hit 500. We've been going for 11 years. And it was mentioned, you know, just through Perion, you know, one of the kind of people who just signed up. Just great idea. And, and they didn't realize just how few people, you know, support this kind of show. And it, it, he mentioned kind of, you know, why don't you mention the number? Do you know what I mean? Just a kind of, all right, oof, not that many. So just, you know, we've got at this moment 253 people supporting District of Wonders on Perion. We've got like old school PayPal gold, which is like the old, that really doesn't happen anymore. But there's still people in there supporting. But on Perion, which is where it kind of now all the kind of revenue comes from you know that's where I, I normally kind of shout out to come over there we've got 253 people and i had a look on the kind of the stats do you know what i mean and each week when you first kick it off starship silver hits around about say five thousand. over this last say you know the kind of the special weeks we're up there round about now them three kind of shows round about say eight thousand. i've just had a look on me kind of me stats thing you go back about a month and they're, they're in the kind of eight, 10,000, you know, people coming over. That's a lot of people listening. And only 253 are signed up for Patreon. And I'm not asking for the world. Do you know what I mean? It just, we want to just keep this going. That's the whole thing. You get your free stories. You know, we do all these kind of little things. We get writers like Hall and Ellison, man. You, you kind of believe, and I, I know Jeremy kind of, he brushes off. Oh, I had to, you know, make a couple of phone calls and write letters. To get this story, my, you'll have to do a lot more than that, even to get past the barriers of Hall and Ellison. And we just kind of be nice to kind of make sure this show keeps going. So, and I'll mention it for about four weeks now. If, you know, next week I'll mention it. Say if anything's happened, if anyone's signed up. And then once a month I'll mention the kind of figures on Patreon so you know... If people are signed up or and no one is, do you know what I mean? So... Like I say, the most important thing is to sign up for Patreon. Keep it going. Two pound, five, two pound, it's in dollars. So two fifty dollars, a five a dollar. I send you a nice cute postcard. I've got this box again. 
on my desk. It is the Penguin Science Fiction Postcards 100 book covers. And they're as funky as anything. Funky, I said. Right? I said funky. <laughs> it's in a little box and I send one of them out every time you, someone signs up for a $5 donation from through Patreon as well. So I give, you know, I'm giving, giving, giving. Sign up to Patreon and support her. That would be fantastic. Now, just, I've had a few emails as well regarding a couple of weeks ago, or a few months ago, I mentioned my eating habits. You know how I was like going into keto and doing everything like that? Well, I've been on holiday and jumping back on the, the, the pony because you can't really do ketogenic diet on them. On the, you know, the holidays, it's just basically impossible to be quite honest. And it's a nice little break, actually, to kind of jump off and just smother yourself in pizza dough and everything like that. So still on kind of the, the, the ketogenic diet, still main things healthy. You know, I'm doing four, four mile a day, walking with the dogs, eating all healthy. But my main health foods now is, and I'm totally kind of changing it around a little bit, is fermented foods, all pre Biotic and probiotic. And that's where I'm kind of getting me, digging me things at the moment. I'm kind of, the allotment's growing there. So I'm fermenting all the, the kind of vegetables that are coming and living off them and loving it. Do you know what I mean? And, and like you say, most of them are, you know, no low carbs anyways. You know, I'm not eating the kind of the pizzas, the, the bread, the rice, the pasta. I don't eat any of that anyways, all the pre-packed stuff. Everything I'm eating, you know, for nearly a year there now has been natural food you know i've made it myself but now for these last say two two months something like that it's all kind of fermented and i, I watch a couple of youtube videos and see how it's done then me, me thing at the moment is killing the glass jars oh that's the kitty at the moment i'm spending a fortune the wife's going mad but it's like the food's keeping what we're making at the allotment you know what i mean and even Pickling, this is this is pickling green tomatoes. Man, gorgeous. Do you know what I mean? And I tried one before, you know, because I was thinking, what? Green tomatoes? They're not going to, you know, we've the polytunnel and all the tomatoes are coming to end, but they're still, you know, our season's kind of running, running out there now. Daylight's running out. So still a lot of green tomatoes. So, you know, in the, 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 the for testing, I tried one, green tomato. <laughs> horrible. Yes, yeah, horrible. It was foul, but I made this salt solution, Brian. I followed the, the, you know, the instructions on YouTube of this video I'm watching, this uh, sub channel I'm subscribed to. Left it 10 days, bit of garlic in there, bit of chili in there as well, this salt solution. Keep everything submerged so there's a vacuum going on, and you, you, you actually make lactose acid. They are lovely. Do you know what I mean? They've got this kind of little sour taste there now, and they're lovely, and that's just bizarre. And I'm doing everything. Red onions, red onions, man! <laughs> they're gorgeous! <gasps> they go like this sweet, caramelised taste, you know, and it's just like, say, keeping them in a salt water solution, submerged. Red onions, obviously the, the kind of the sauerkraut, you know, the, the beetroot I'm doing, carrots I'm doing. Chilies, I'm doing. There's all sorts. I'm going to actually, I was buying, but I'm actually going to make now kimchi, which is like a Korean side dish, which, you know, is absolutely gorgeous. So I've got my recipe for that. And that's like a fermented cabbage with, with loads of spice. You know what I mean? Hot and the better for me. So that's what's kind of floating me board at the moment. 
And it's going great. You know, I still kind of, you know, weigh myself every day there. And you can't help but put weight on on holiday. But it's what I find with this is it just comes down again. Do you know what I mean? And that's lovely where it never used to. Do you know what I mean? It was like, hey, chunky, go on. Oh, a little bit more, a bit more. But what it means with this as well, which I love, all this eating, is I can eat fats as well. So I mean, one of my main fats now is like cheese. And I'm buying all this artisan cheese. There's a company in England. Like, have a look on the, on the internet. Pong.com. Yes, P-O-N-G.com. And I get me, I'm just getting the the town in England, Bath, the, the Bath collection box set of cheeses, all different cheeses from that region. And it's lovely. Do you know what I mean? And the next one is there's a stinky, <laughs> a stinky box set where it's got one of the, the world's smelliest cheeses, a, a one from France. That that's my next little um, once a month. I treat myself like you know these boxes of cheeses. So yes, I know I'm rambling on, but I just thought you know what I mean because telling you about the the health things, you know, because I want to keep myself fit to keep Starship Sofa going and the District of Wonders, and I want you to do that as well by supporting Insure. <laughs> so bringing stories, how good the day we even now doing our own stories. Jeremy's set in place there. He's got everything sorted to do that, to bring in the story. So we'll pick original stories there now. And that's just the way we go. We're all set here to carry on to 10,000. 10,000? Show 1,000 and beyond. You know, another 10 years. So support her. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here. I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call At home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I wanna talk to you I wanna talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. 
I'm still building word by word And I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by